Welcome to Commas. Commas is all things tech. Culture and technology coming together. Life hacks. The practicality right now in the inefficiency of the internet of buying and selling stuff is extraordinary. Entrepreneurship advice. I think the first thing is you got to understand your business inside out. Love and tech. We've almost reduced dating to kind of this very momentary snap of a person. It's going to be a fire show. I have yet to see something these days that's truly differentiated. New advice and new inspiration every show. It really is about the next generation of creators going faster, further than we did. And now, Sequoia Blodgett. Now let's start stacking them commas. On this episode, former NFL player Chase Manningfield takes us on his journey from the league to tech. And you guys, why in the world did my Instacart shoppers steal my groceries? Stay tuned for all the madness. Entrepreneurship advice. (laughs) Learn from the hottest and most successful investors, founders, and innovators in the game. Determine your greatness. It's time to get your knowledge up. Okay, okay, for sure, for sure. Hey, what's poppin'? It's your girl Sequoia, and I have got my boy Chase Manningfield in the building. Serial entrepreneur, ex-NFL player. How are you doing? I'm great, I'm great. Appreciate you bringing me on. Yeah. I'm excited. So before we jump into the conversation, you know, about what you're doing now, I want to know your history. So tell me about you playing in the NFL and what caused that transition into tech. That's a long story, long back end, but we'll we'll, we'll try to tackle it like we can. <laughs> no fun um, So I'm born in Lexington, Kentucky, born and raised. My dad, he played in the NFL for the Cleveland Browns for multiple years. So football is what I've seen growing up. So I always had the dream of being a professional athlete in some form or fashion. I ended up going to the University of Virginia, uh, multiple time All-American, and got an opportunity to play for the Washington Redskins. Uh, injuries, pl- trying to climb up the roster, all these different types of things like that, you know, just ended up where football was not in my cards pretty quickly. So I played about three seasons, three and a half seasons. Um, and then I went home and I was like, what do I do now? Because I think I'm good enough to still play. I don't understand why. All these people are still in the league, and they don't want me in the league no more. So I really was in a tough transition phase and really trying to figure out where to go. Um, Before I got into tech, I started my first company in 2015 called Helping Hands, which was a student housing service providing company. Um, I started that with the purpose of helping my friends and family that were back home. They were all just sitting around, all your high school friends, all your family, struggling to find jobs, just feel like they're not progressing in life. So I wanted to provide them with an opportunity using my platform. And the way I did that was starting a moving company that I was going to focus in the student housing industry. That ultimately went okay. We got a couple ideas, a couple contracts, a couple opportunities. But they told me that, you know, we're really budgeting for the actual stuff that's needed to get ready for the move-in day. So clean, paint, maintenance, all these different types of things. So we started doing that. And we've been able to scale it to a seven-figure company, working in multiple different areas of the country. And, um, you know, it's been good. And then after that, after doing multiple years of that, I decided, you know, technology. Actually, I didn't I didn't think I could do technology, to be honest, first off. So I actually just realized there was a problem in the industry where they were struggling to manage their vendors on the campus um, because there were so many vendors. There was so much work to do and there were so many things. So people get inefficient when there's a lot of moving parts. So I thought technology would be a great way to fix that problem. And it wasn't just a problem where I was at. It was a problem nationally and at every campus, at every university. So we decided to try to take advantage of that opportunity. And we just started drawing screens. And now Easy Turn was born. Tell me 
about some of those life obstacles that came in the way of your journey? So essentially, if you think about my mindset as far as growing from a household where my dad was an NFL player, successful NFL player, Frank Minifield. I don't know if you may know, if you follow football. Not at all. Um, <laughs> I'm following though. Go ahead. He's 1980s all decade team. So he's probably one of the better players to play in the NFL in his time frame. So, you know, I had high expectations of myself um, and things of that nature. So going to the University of Virginia, I did well. Like I said, I was an All-American player. Um, ended up having a lot of injuries. So injuries is kind of like my obstacle that, you know, I've always had to. And it helps me in entrepreneurship is the fact of being injured was compared to like hitting the ground. And that's one thing that I think is very valuable to me in the entrepreneurship is I'm not scared to go to zero. Mm. Like I'm not scared of like I've been to the ground and I've come back and I've bounced back multiple times. So, you know, I'm not scared to take risk. I'm not scared to fail and hit the ground. Like I'm I'm out there neck on the line type situation. Like I'm cool with that. So essentially, you know, when I was a in high school senior, um, I had a scholarship to go to the University of Virginia to play football, but I decided to play basketball amongst the you know, the the not wanting my, my parents not wanting me to since I had already had a scholarship to play football and I ended up getting hurt. I tore my ACL and, you know, I was scared to almost like crying tears that I wasn't going to lose my scholarship and everything that I thought I could do going forward. You know, this is a mindset of a seven, 18 year old, 17 year old kid where like, oh, my life is over. I just ruined everything. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I just ruined everything. So, um that thought process of me having to call my coach then and tell him that I just, you know, tore my ACL playing basketball was a was a phone call and a conversation that was an extreme scare of mine. Um, and then not being able to ever have an obstacle where you, you really got to, like, dig deep and you either have a choice of, like, okay, this is what it's going to be or this is what it's not going to be. Mm-hmm. So, so I remember when it finally clicked to me that if I got anything to do with it, this is not how it's going to end. Mm. So... You know, I was very, I'm very heavy in my faith and things of that nature. So, you know, I, I really remember the time when I was like, I couldn't lift my leg up. I couldn't move it. I couldn't do nothing going from like, you know, look, a kid that was a great athlete, jump high, run fast, play basketball, play football, play soccer, whatever you want me to play, I could play it. To not being able to move or do anything, just bed, bedridden, bed stuck. So I really remember the day where I was like, all right, you, this ain't going to, you ain't going to get better doing nothing. Like. They tell you what to do, but you're going to have to go three times, four times more than what they say you're going to do. So that's what really started my process of understanding that, you know, you got to put in more than what's expected of you. So, uh, you know, I was getting up at 430, 530, doing my doing my rehab, go back to school, do my rehab again, come back at night, do my rehab again. Um, not knowing what I was going to get out of it. Still not knowing like, oh, can I do this? Can I get back to the level that I was at? That type of situation. Ultimately, I was able to get back to that level. I was able to get back to playing well at the University of Virginia, um, you know, being a two-time All-American and having a first-round, second-round grade coming out of college. Uh, before I got hurt again, going into my bowl season right before my draft, and, um, you know, I was back down in square one again. I was back down in square one again, and, you know, it just kept on being that same story of you get up and you get knocked back down. You get up and you get knocked back down um, to where you – where I got on the NFL roster and – you know, I just, it was a different, it was a different, um, you ever get to something and it's not what it's. What you thought it was going to be. Yeah, what I thought it was going to mm-hmm. be. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, you get to that space and, 
you know, the money's in it. There's a whole bunch of different things that's involved with it. But it's a constant battle. It's an uphill battle um, to get What your, are some of those things that you were battling? Just you having to basically um, go into a situation and work harder every day just to have an opportunity to continue to pay or continue to feed your family or the people that are counting on you. That that day-to-day in the NFL is a different ballgame because not like the NBA or the, or the Major League Baseball where your contract's guaranteed. You can get cut any day, and that could be your last check from the NFL. So it was a different type of grind, mm. especially at the bottom of the roster where you got to treat every practice every game like it's – or every practice every day like it's a game um, to the point where, you know, it's, it's not just for – me, it's for other people outside. Like, these people are, like, counting on you. You you got to live up to expectations of, oh, this is what this was. This is what I try to do. This is what I got to be. So, um, and that thought process is the fact of, you know, I ended up thinking that this is what I got to do. This is what I got to be, like, from a little little age. Like, I never thought that, oh, I can go do a business or I can go be an entrepreneur. My mom wanted me to be a lawyer, but this, I wasn't hearing that. I was in one ear and out the other. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So I, I try to talk about for all the other kids. And, you know, I think I was talking to somebody the other day and I was like, how many people, how many young black kids do you think there are in America today that want to be a professional athlete? Like, what's, oh what's that percentage? Gosh. What's that percentage? You know, it's a high percentage. It's got to be. Because um, that's what they see. Yeah. Like, they see athletes. They see artists. Like, exactly. And, and, Actors, like exactly. those are the three things that at least were when I was growing up. Everybody wanted to be right, right, right. And now it's like, now it's cool to be an entrepreneur, right? Exactly. But the thing is, it looks sexy. That's the issue. It looks real sexy because it's being glorified at this moment. But when you're actually an entrepreneur, that shit ain't sexy. Like it's hard. Yeah. And I think that a lot of entrepreneurs or a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs don't get that. I think there's a lot of wantrepreneurs. Mm. I think a lot of people who think it's a great idea. Good IG posts. Right. It's, <laughs> it's cool to be on the gram flexing, but yeah. to actually do the work, it's pressing half the time. So, like, I, I like, unless you're in those trenches, but it's also one of the most fulfilling opportunities one of the most i would say if you can get to that point of success and if you have that tenacity it's going to give you the most money that you could probably ever make before you could make it as an athlete as an entertainer yeah. you know what i mean so for me going through the process and and for yourself we just roll with the punches right but there are some punches and mm-hmm. going back to your football analogy i think as an entrepreneur, you're getting those punches, but you're getting them mentally. Mm. And that's the part that, like, messes you up. Exactly. It's like, and that's exactly what I was dealing with in sports was mental blocks of can you or can you not? Is this is this worth it or is it not? Like, everybody has that brain, those brain um, twists where you like, am I what I say I am? Can I be what I said I can mm, be? Imposter syndrome as an yeah. athlete. That's interesting. No, it's like that. And, you know, I mean, it's always a comparison game. Is he, can I run? Can I Can I jump? Can I be as strong as the next man? Um, so it's always a mental game. The, mental, the mentally strong guys are the ones that actually are the better players in NFL. And that's why I'm, like, trying to play this platform of getting athletes to understand that 
they can be great entrepreneurs. I believe they can be great entrepreneurs. One, because they have, just think about the discipline, the character, um, and all these different traits that it took to get to the highest level of whatever they're doing. Um, the fact that they don't, or the fact that they go into these, you know, um, phases of this is the only thing I can do is because, you know, it's almost like a brainwash of like, I got to do this. I got to do that from a young age. Like this, right. is, this is how you be successful. And if you're not doing this, you're not going to be able to do anything. So trying to get rid of that stigma of you got to play sports, you got to play ball, even for the guys that are like doing this successfully. Like you don't need them to write you a check. Like they've already wrote you a lot of checks. You can do that and you could actually leave the game and start something that you want to do. I feel like you could, I mean, it might be a risk, but essentially if you really put your mind to it and you put in the dedication that you took towards that sport, towards that game, I, be, I would put my money on you to at least be able to sustain yourself. Or become an investor and kick your feet up. <laughs> or become an investor. Kick your feet up and uh, call it a day. <laughs> I, know some, I know some people looking for some money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love that. I love that analogy. And I love that we tapped onto mental health because, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that Commas champions in terms of our platform is, we give you a clinical psychologist to work with because we know the struggle. You know what I mean? And a lot of entrepreneurs, athletes, anybody who is in a space that requires a lot of pressure, a lot of work, a lot of tenacity, a lot of grit, Mm -hmm. unless you've gone through that, I mean, like I grew up in the hood, so there was some levels, you know what I'm saying? Unless you've gone through that throughout your your life, it takes, I mean, and that could cause you PTSD and that's a whole nother conversation, but unless you've gone through that throughout your life, you don't know how to deal with that. And I think that that's so important. So have you ever sought any type of, mental health, any coaching, any, like, what have you done in order to, like, move yourself forward in this space? One, um, I would say, like, listening to other people's stories. Like, listening to other people's stories, not just trying to do things by myself. You know, not trying to just do things by yourself in this space. Especially with mental, you just turn yourself crazy. You're trying to just, like, self, self-diagnose things. You know what I'm saying? Or self, self-heal. self Medicate, yeah. Yeah, like, that stuff is, is dangerous. This is just a rabbit hole that you go down into. So I think really finding out that there's community, there's community in what you're going through, I think that's extremely important. Um, And just being open, being open to other things, you know, whether it's like, you know, I got out of like working out daily. Like I got out of those routines. Like it's hard to, and I find it hard. I don't understand how entrepreneurs get to say, get to work out as much as they work out. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm like, when I wake up, I get to like working on growing my business. Um... So me trying to find like and then, and then I start realizing like you know your physical health and your mental health are one in one yes. you know what I'm saying so I had to find time to get into the gym I had to find time to get back into the gym you know when I was playing football the gym was the first priority right like you know three times two times a day um, now my first priority is moving the top line of my company right you know what but I'm you saying? can't move the top line of your company unless you're mentally, mentally prepared, prepared right. So. So I love that. And now, like, I wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning to get to the gym at 5. You looked at me crazy. You guys, if you guys could see his face, he was like, 4. (laughs) Get to the gym at 5 o'clock. So I'm done by 6, and then I can start doing whatever I need to do for the day, right? Mm -hmm. But that dopamine push at 4 o'clock, I don't even feel it. Like, I'm in there. I'm working out. I'm doing my thing. And by the time 6 o'clock hits, I'm like, all right, cool, straight. And I'm prepared. Mm -hmm. But if you don't set your intentions for the day, and if you don't get your mentally prepared 
you're jumping into a, a rabbit hole and you're basically trying to do things that you're not even in the right mind space to do. So you have to prepare yourself mentally. No, it definitely makes sense for sure. Um, like I said, we're learning and growing at the same time. I was in a space when I really, you know, when you're playing in the NFL, you have you're gonna make you're gonna generate capital, you're gonna generate money. Um, but once you're done playing or done giving you checks, it's just a it's a it's, a, it's a, just a short amount of time before your money is gone. Mm-hmm. So you know, I had to make smart decisions. I remember when I started helping hands, I was like, I, I don't have an opportunity to be wrong on this. So you know, once I started it, and I was like, you know, I can't be wrong on this. This has to hit. Um, you know, I. I wasn't going to sacrifice any time outside of making this company grow. So, you know, essentially you, you really learn as you go. You learn as you go. You learn as you you go and you grow. So, you know, I think that, you know, me finding like the platform of commas, I recently found out about commas. So shout out to commas and their dope platform and all the content they're putting out. I think is you know, it's in, you can't even put a price tag on it. So, um, you know, it's, 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 it's extreme information that, you know, I think everybody can grow from. So just realizing that, you know, I'm trying to find community, to be honest with you. Like, I don't see too many people that look like me in the tech space, especially in Kentucky. Like, I'm the guy, you know what I'm saying, like, in Kentucky that, you know, is in tech. And then black tech is, you know, one or two of us. So, you know, just getting out there and meeting other people has been beneficial. Let me back you up for a little bit. So you said you went from the NFL, started your first company how did you know how to start a company? Um, so my dad, he was an entrepreneur, so I kind of seen that as well. He uh, has his own company. I actually worked for him for a little bit. That was a terrible experience. Wait, he was, tell me about that. <laughs> Why was it terrible? <laughs> well, he's like a, he's the kind of boss where you turn your phones in at the door. <laughs> you turn your phones in at the door and you put in a strong eight hours of work in front of the computer and knock off like 100 tasks a day. So like the micromanagement was way too much for me. Uh, especially coming from the NFL where you're kind of like free to do what you want to do. You're like, I got rules. Yeah. Yeah. So in that experience, but he taught me a lot. So I had to, I had to, he actually had like a a startup company that I was kind of like the first person that was in charge of selling it. Uh, It's like a, it's called MED measuring every day, which was for athletes who, you know, just had a knee injury and you could measure your range of motion without having to go to the doctor. So I was in charge of selling that. So I learned how to build target lists. I learned how to uh, cold call, things I've never done before, Uh, send productive emails or emails that are going to be open more than other emails, like trying to figure out the messaging yeah, messaging and all those different types of things. So um, I learned that there and then I applied it to uh, my first concept, Helping Hands. So I love that you learned all the skills and they're now automated. Oh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think that's so interesting. But you had a base going into it. So you actually knew, okay, I'm going to need to do these certain things. And now applying that to your company, it helps you to scale. So mm-hmm. what, obviously, you transitioned into tech. You said that you didn't know that tech was something that you wanted to do. What made you make that jump into tech? Well, my goal with Helping Hands was, and I'm very, like, aggressive, very confident. Like, I'm not, like, a guy that's, like, half-stepping. So I'm, I, I think I can take on the world. So my goal, and sometimes people are like, whoa, 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 like, hold the brakes. But my goal was to, like, have my Helping Hands company as a franchise on every campus around the country. And I wanted it like tomorrow or yesterday, you know what I'm saying? So um, that was my goal. But then I realized like I got up to where I had like almost like 250 and my payroll was like 250 people. And I was like, yo, this is way too much. And that was only. How did you scale to that large? We were working in. Huge amount of people. Yeah, we were working in like uh, four or five different states at the time. And they were all underneath our 
wasn't no subcontracting. It was all underneath uh, my company. So I was like, yo, I'm I'm running out of paper. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, everything is going crazy. So I was like, the next year, I'm like, okay, I'm scaling well. And I, and I like 10x that year. So my growth was really good. But I just like, there's got to be a different way to scale easier for me. And because it's going to be impossible if I get, if I double again, I'm going to have this much and this much and this much. So I got to find an easier way, a more efficient way to grow. So then, you know, I did it a different way the next year. was able to steal 2 or 3x. Um, but then ultimately I was like, you know, technology will be a, a whole lot easier. If I can find a way that all these vendors and all these property managers and all these universities can have me on their campus without me being on their campus, that's where technology came into play. And I was like, let me try to figure out something that they can use instead of me actually providing the service providers for them to do the work. So you knew that by implementing tech, you would be able to grow this company at scale. What resources did you have in order to understand what type of technology you should implement? How did you know which engineers you should be hiring? How did you know how to go about that process? Um, I didn't, to be honest with you, but I have experience. Like we're, we're always using technology on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, just like the Facebooks and the Instagram apps and all these different apps I'm using on a day-to-day basis, I'm just trying to see what's like valuable like what makes this valuable? What makes this valuable? And I just started drawing screens and saying, I think this will work like this uh, in this industry. So, you know, I didn't really have an idea of like, I didn't know nothing about no um, HTML, Python, none of that. I'm, <laughs> I didn't know any of that stuff. So uh, it was really just like me bringing a notebook to a development company and like, hey, can you guys create this? Ah, okay. So you ended up outsourcing it. Outsourcing. Okay. See, I think that's interesting because a lot of investors, are you are you obviously fundraising for this company at this point, right? Uh, we are fundraising, but we started off bootstrap. We bootstrapped our first full year. Okay. And so going through that process, a lot of investors are like, well, who built the tech? Is mm-hmm. that a question that's been coming up for you? It has. It has. Um, and, you know, I guess we've had a decent answer so far, but- Essentially, I'm sure. And uh, now it helps. (laughs) So, yeah, (laughs) we didn't go offshore. I wasn't comfortable with that. So we went to the people that were in like Lexington, Kentucky. Okay, like a company that does apps, does websites, all those different type of things like that. Um, I did like bid it out. So I didn't just go to somebody and be like, hey, what's your what's your price? I got multiple pricing and just, you know, tried to use those prices against each other to get the lowest price. So I did have that kind of experience in negotiation uh, abilities uh, to get a decent little deal. But essentially, you know, I went to the people that I could knock on their door if something was going wrong. I didn't want to have to. <laughs> you didn't want to call yeah. India like, yo, Sometimes what's you got, up with my app? Yeah, exactly. I got to be able to door knock. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have mentors throughout this process? Uh, yeah, I had a couple mentors um, more, more later down the line because I got to understand when I got into the technology space, I was just going to try to build it like my service providing company. And I didn't. I didn't think I needed capital. I didn't think I needed um, mentors. I was just like, I know I can sell this. I can do what I did with the Helping Hands company, and I can build a target list, and I can tell them this is what it does. I can go do meetings and show them what it does, and I can probably get some customers. We generated customers. So right out the gate, when we released in May 2018, we were able to acquire uh, – we, we judge our portfolio based off bed size, how many beds are in our portfolio. We was able to get 9,000-plus beds um, and bring in revenue right out the gate. So – uh, after that, then I had to, I decided like I need to understand this a little better. I need to run. I can't just jog. I got to sprint with my technology. So uh, that's when we started learning the game. I think you brought up an interesting point that a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize is that you validated the market first before you went after venture capital. I hear a lot of stories of entrepreneurs. Of course, people have come to me and they're like, hey, we want to raise capital. Here's our idea. And I'm like, 
Uh-uh, that ain't how it worked, right. right? So you had already come, you had already validated the market, and you had already been generating a revenue. And I think those are the key components to leave that app because a lot of people don't understand that that's the process. Like, mm-hmm. you have to validate the market before you actually go and try to raise capital. So now you're out raising capital. What has that process been like for you? A lot longer than what I expected. So, uh that's, that's, let's just keep it like that. So, you know, when you think you're when you think you have money and you have generated like revenue and you're like pitching against companies that aren't really, you know, generating revenue and you're just kind of further along in the same time frame or a shorter time frame and you're not it's still struggling to raise capital. Maybe because, you know, it seems like a simple idea and it's you're not. Like, but it's, I have customers. Yeah. yeah. Money. It Why seems like a simple idea. <laughs> but, and they're like, no, exactly. So. Um, it's been a, it's been a road and it's still a road. It's still a process right now, you know, learning and being in Kentucky, you're not, you, you kind of, once you pick to once you've pitched to one investor group, you've pitched to them, all the investors in the area, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, just trying to get out and, you know, meet more people, come to LA, go to Silicon Valley, go to Austin. Um, that's probably our biggest challenge is just meeting different people and getting our product in front of other people while also trying to still sell the company and make sure we're not going down. Um, and, and making sure that we're still acquiring customers. You made a great point, which is you have to have a runway in order to fundraise. A lot of people will go out, try to fundraise, and they're thinking it's going to take two to three months because they've seen oh boy up the street yeah. who just generated a couple million in, in, in capital through fundraising. And they're like, that's what's going to happen. And then it's two years later and you haven't closed your seed round yet, right? right? Exactly. So... How much runway did you have in order to, you know, be able? To, and then you also said you're still, you still are generating revenue, so yeah. that's sustaining the company. So how much runway did you have? So you know, I got that question a lot, and you know, originally I was like, runway, what? Let me look up this runway. <laughs> <laughs> Let me look at this runway. You're like I've been on the football field, I know there's yeah. a runway somewhere. <laughs> we're we talking about the airport, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So um, I was um, basically I was funding my company out of my other company, so it wasn't really like. I was running out of money because I had my company was bringing in enough monthly recurring revenue where I knew what I was able to afford into my other company. But it's been a blessing to get those three, those two things separate and not, you know, this one trying to carry this one. So um, essentially we started off and I just knew what expense I could handle and uh, what was what was going. But we could go forever if we didn't if we wasn't losing money over here. So that was kind of my answer to the investors was that. I don't understand what you guys are saying. We're going to go to, we're going to go as long as we can fund it. Uh, so like that we was have the thing. Plenty of money. What are you talking yeah. about? So what's one of those things that you were hit smack in the face with that you were like, oh my god, I was not expecting that. When you have outsourced um, developers and you have issues in the tech, and they're not responsive in a fast time, like because they don't work for you, they are, you know, they put a certain amount of hours into your project. And then they uh, go do a work on another project. So, like, if we have, like, an issue on Friday, and you got to understand, in the student housing industry, our biggest, our most important season is right, like, in the Mac, everybody's using the product at the same time. You know what I'm saying? So, if there's an issue, everybody has an issue. So, if we have something that was going on on Friday, and their developers, you know, they're going on the weekend, they we can't get nothing done. So, that was one of the things that we really ran into in the beginning was, you know, trying to keep our customers happy when there were issues. 
and we couldn't fix it ourselves. Like with helping hands, if I had an issue with like cleaning or painting, I'll jump in there and I'll sweep and I'll mop and I'll. Excuse me, I got it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was something I could do, but I can't do. I can't fix a tech. You know, that's not my. It's not my my lane. <laughs> like the whole shit's broke. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> So then you obviously ended up hiring engineers, I yep. imagine. But also they're really expensive. So mm-hmm. how did you sustain? Well, we, we were able to uh, generate enough monthly recurring revenue to, um, you know, cover two more two more developers. So just continually to sell and continually to get clients was able to afford us in, you know, growing our team without having to raise that much capital. So, um, you know, it's been a blessing for us to have a product that, you know, is it's considered revolutionary considering they was using like spreadsheets and things in that space um, to where we have a lot of demand even that in our customers are willing to like grow with us. They're not like, okay, I got this over here that's experienced and they've been here for a while. Like we don't want to see you guys like they want to get on here. That's how bad the problem was. They want to use us. And if we have any issues, they're willing to like go through our growing pains with us. So we've been able to keep all clients that we've had since the beginning and grow. Uh, I think we, t- we 10X this year. Oh, no, 5X this year. Sorry. So you're at what? 50,000 beds. Which is how much revenue? Uh, we're about 11K monthly recurring revenue. Nice. That's great. And so are you closing your seed round? Are you raising your seed round now? What are you doing? We're still raising, um, trying to close it. I'm thinking about just um, moving on to a series, a series A round towards the end of this year. So um, still in... Still in the thought process of that. Okay, cool. And now you also have another foundation. So not that you don't have enough companies under your belt. So tell us about your foundation and what's going on. Oh man, my uh, the Minifield Foundation is a is is near and dear to my heart. One because you know growing up in football, you're used to giving back to people. Um, you know, every Tuesday in the NFL, you have a day to like do community work, community service, things of that nature. So you know, when you're out of the NFL, you're trying to find a way to, you know get back into that space of giving back one, because, you know, it just makes you feel good and, and you're doing things for other people. You're not just doing things for yourself all the time. So uh, Minifield Foundation is our model is out dream yourself is to give back to the youth of the community and give them, get them around people in their community. that are doing that. They may look up to whether it's athletes, whether it's lawyers, whether it's, you know, businessmen, whatever it is, we want them to just see people outside of what they see on TV. We want them to touch them, feel them, talk to them. Um, and our big event was the Super Bowl Super Bash where we would go to like a sky zone or trampoline park and they would come out and then all the like local celebrities in Lexington, Kentucky would come out and uh, we would all just have a fun time watching the Super Bowl. Love that. So five tips that you would give a new entrepreneur who is going into the space who you obviously weren't technical. You didn't have a technical background and you have a tech company, which is a beautiful success story because a lot of people fail just even trying to get through that pathway. So five tips for non-technical entrepreneurs who want to get into the tech space, what would they be? One would be, um, and this might be just in the, the, the initial phase for anybody that's not even thinking about tech yet is the fact of you can, there's an opportunity in front of you right now. I think that like, people like myself that are into an industry very deeply and you understand the problems of that industry, there's probably a tech uh, solution in that space that you probably know better than more than anybody else would know. And you have an opportunity there. So I think micro like um, digitizing the, your, your life on a micro level is an opportunity for anybody um, right now. So if you're sitting at your nine to five, not liking your job and you might have an opportunity to, you know, really start a company through technology in a space that you see, just start looking in a different lens as far as like 
what issues are going on here and how can I fix them instead of a, you know, I'm tired of being here type situation. Um, two would be just jump, just jump. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of people never understand or never realize what they can do um, until the, because they're sitting there standing at the ledge and not really ready to jump because they don't know if it's going to be a hard landing or a soft landing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So That's a, that's a great analogy. So my thing would be just jump. You know, nobody's ever told me to come up with five. It's usually like three. But <laughs> like I'm, I'm like, I'm at two right now. <laughs> um, essentially, never stop learning. Um, I love so, that. Oh, my gosh. That's such a good one. Yeah, never stop learning. Yeah. Don't ever think that you understand it all. I think YouTube University has been one of my greatest like uh, allies in this process of trying to learn a new space with just like you got to get in a dictionary, vocabulary. All these different type of things is brand new for me in this space. So. Never stop learning. Um, I'm going to jump in there really quickly. Also within that, I think never stop learning kind of paraphrase is invest in learning, right? Mm -hmm. I've spent over probably close to, I would say five to $6,000 this year, just like trying to understand the things that I don't know because you're saving on time. Right. So I, I love the fact that you brought that up. Like, Watch your YouTube videos, get all your free content, but invest in content too, because you're going to get to your destination so much faster. Exactly. <laughs> like there's been so much stress I've had around like not knowing certain things, like how to build a sales funnel, how to run your mm-hmm. Facebook ads, whatever. I've paid for that. And all of a sudden, boom, like months later, I'm good. You know what I mean? So I love that you brought that up. For sure. For sure. Um, and I got two more. That's three, right? Yeah. So <laughs> you got two left. Go got ahead. Two what, left. You got? what you got? Um, so I would say get people around you um, that and I guess this kind of go with learning as well, but get people around you that you can, you know, bounce ideas off, bounce thought process off. Don't just be around here trying to t- attack the world by yourself, like have people around you that, you know, are making you better. that are poor is not takers. So um, I feel like that's extremely important, especially in this process. I mean, it can get really lonely in the entrepreneurship journey. So, so make sure you have a, and that could be your team or it don't have to be people that's actually associated with you. Could be friends, could be, um, your significant others, those type of things. Just have people that you can, you know, really get away from the actual grind and, and, and be proactive in your self care. Um, and then five. So what's your fifth? My fifth one would be that obstacles are going to come. Obstacles are going to come, um, and being resilient and persistent and I guess pivoting as well, not being scared to pivot, but all three of those things go go together to me is that once things come, and I call it like a speed bump, once a speed bump happens, you know, not being the person that gets stuck on a speed bump and doesn't get over the hump, um, understanding that, you know, it might be a pivot. It might be just, you know, grinding a little harder, but understanding that resiliency and persistency is the only key ingredients for success. A hundred percent. I heard a quote from this, Um, entrepreneur named Dan Henry. And he was basically like, whoever can endure the most pain is going to win. Mm -hmm. Like as long as you can get through those speed bumps, like you said, as long as you can basically tackle what's in front of you, that next speed bump will get easier and easier and easier. And eventually it'll click, but you got to be able to get through the bumps. And the people who cannot get through the bumps are the people who quit. Like, I don't believe that you actually fail. I actually think people who are considered quote unquote failures, because to me, failure is learning, but people who are considered failures are the people who quit. You know what I mean? So I love all of those. I feel like you were speaking to me. (laughs) I I hear you, Chase. Testing me. (laughs) Right. Um, Where do we find you? 
Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, everything's at Chase Minifield. Um, so I'm very easy to find, very accessible. Um, and I'm willing to, you know, talk to and I'm, I'm getting into the entrepreneurship com- uh, community, you know, going to more events and things like that. So I look forward to meeting other entrepreneurs, other people in tech as we continue to go forward down this, down this path. Yo, okay, so you guys familiar with the app Instacart, right? If you're not, basically it's this app where you can order your groceries, they come drop them off, and it's a super seamless process. And I've been using it probably for about a half a year. No issues up until recently. So basically, I order these groceries and I'm chilling. I'm waiting for the app to tell me what's going on. So my shopper picks up my order and I can literally see it on the app. So she's going and she's getting all of the stuff. And I send her because I ordered this burger. It's like an impossible burger. So I send her a screen grab of the burger. She's like, okay, I got it. We're good. I'm like, yes, she found my burger. I'm excited. And then, you know, there's a couple replacements. So she's like, okay, what about this one? Do you want this? And she can literally give me a screenshot of things that she's going to replace and then give me. So I'm like, perfect. All good. Never did I ever suspect anything, okay? And so I'm waiting, and I go to do the dishes because I like to have a clean counter when my groceries get there. So I go to do the dishes, and I'm listening for the app because when the person arrives, it'll say, like, it'll send you an alert to say that the person's there. So I'm waiting for my alert, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and then there's no alert, and I'm confused, and I'm like, where's my person? Because it said that she left 20 minutes ago and she'd be here by 4.30. And now it's 4.32. So I go back to my app and I'm looking at my emails and it says, your groceries are delivered. And I'm confused (laughs) because I have no groceries. (laughs) So I don't know what to do because I'm really, really shocked because I don't have the groceries that they say that they delivered. So I go to the door because maybe she put them on the ground, right? That's crazy, but maybe she did. So I open the door. There's still no groceries. And so I close the door. And it hit me. This bitch doesn't sell groceries. (laughs) Yo, I was like, are you kidding me? So I call Instacart and I'm like, yo. And so I'm sitting on hold for probably like six whole minutes. And finally they pick up, but nobody is saying anything. So I hang up because now I'm heated because it has clicked in my mind that my groceries are not showing up because she has taken my groceries. So I call them again and the guy's like chuckling when he gets on the phone because he's having a great day. He He has his meal came. Right? I'm not having a great day. So I pick up the phone. or I'm on the phone and I'm like, hello? Where are my groceries? Like, I mean, the hood shit came out of me, right? And so he's like, well, what's going on? And I give him the whole rundown. Like, I ordered these groceries. It said that they were delivered. And I don't want to jump to conclusions. But, like, now I'm really upset. And now I'm jumping to conclusions. I'm like, she stole my groceries. And he's like, okay, well. Let me give her a call and see. And in my mind, I'm like, you gonna call and ask her what? Like, did she drop them off? But then I'm coming to the realization that maybe, maybe she did. Maybe they're at the front door because I live in a gated community. So 
Maybe she couldn't get in for some reason. I don't know why, because they can get in every single time. And so he calls her and she doesn't answer. So he comes back to the line. And he's like, yeah, she's not answering. Of course she's not answering because she's at home eating my kale. Okay. I'm so upset. So basically, at this point, it has now come to the conclusion that she has stolen my groceries. Or at least I've come to this conclusion. So he's like, do you want us to send you out another order? I'm like, no. No, no, no. He doesn't say that. He's like, do you want us to refund you? And I'm like, no, I don't. I'm starving. I want my groceries. That's what I want. So he's like, okay, we'll send you out another order. And so basically he sends out another order and then I hang up. Then I get a call from Instacart again, and I answer the phone. I'm like, hello? They're like, hi, is this Miss Blodgett? I'm like, yeah. Like, okay, so we're so sorry. We got your message, and we've contacted— Oh, no, no, we've been contacted by her, and she said, I knew she was going to call you guys. What the fuck does that mean? Like, so you just been stealing groceries, and you know the routine? Like, what's going on? And so, basically, I'm just like, you know what? She stole my groceries. They were like, she said she tried to call you when she got there and you didn't answer. No, she didn't. I'm furious. She stole my groceries. I'm yelling at this woman at this point. I'm like, no, she stole my groceries. And so, she's like, okay, you know what? We're going to put a report out. You know, we're going to audit her account to see if this has ever happened again. If it makes you feel any better. They're told to take the groceries back to the store if they can't contact the person. And I'm like, she ain't take my groceries back to the store. She's at home with my groceries. Because basically what she says is if they're if they're like frozen goods or anything, then they won't accept them back. Well, half my 90% of my order, I would even say, because I'm vegan, is like frozen vegetables and stuff. So I know for a fact that she's like at home now with all of my food and I'm just like, all right, just send me out another order. So needless to say, they had to play both sides because they can't assume that this person stole your stuff. And they don't know that I didn't, you know, say that she had my groceries and like was at home with now two orders of groceries. So I understand their perspective, but they got to figure that out because that to me is the craziest thing that I, I would never in a million years imagine somebody would like, take somebody's groceries but that happened so if you guys are going to be using the instacart app anytime soon just just be cognizant of the fact that if your groceries don't show up you might have to place a call the good thing is they were able to recover everything they sent me out a whole new batch of groceries with the all the order i was so afraid to because i'm like those burgers are few far in between if she took my burgers home and there's no more burgers I am about to be hated, but no, they found the burgers. So we're good. We're good. But yeah, that's Miss Court story. This is the plug. You know who's the plug. It's time to get caught up on the hottest in tech. Keep it locked, you heard. With Sequoia Blodgett. I see you, little mama. So what is commas, you ask? We are an entrepreneurship community that helps you get support on your journey to financial freedom. So Commas is a community of like-minded startup entrepreneurs with the goal of being profitable. We focus on helping founders gain an understanding of how to build online, digital, and tech-enabled businesses through courses, coaching, and support. So throughout that process, what we'll do is we take you through a four-month program, and you'll learn 
different courses that have focus points in entrepreneurial mindset, product development, branding, marketing, sales, publicity, fundraising, basically every single touch point of your business. And not only that, you're going to understand business formation because you can know all of that stuff, but if you don't have a legitimate business, then you're stopping in your tracks, right? We have a one-on-one session with amazing coaches that span everywhere from mental health to legal, brand, and finance, not to mention your also going to have group coaching and a mastermind where you're going to collaborate with your fellow peers and get feedback on your business as well. So we're an all-inclusive community to make sure that you're getting your company moving from point A to point B. And we also have live events. Our previous event was done in partnership with Gary Vaynerchuk and Draper. So, you know, we get to popping over here. So if you guys are interested in learning more about the Commas Club, log on to www.commasclub.com.